You're listening to Ask the Expert on Sprott Money News. Well, greetings from Sprott Money News, SprottMoney.com. It is the month of April 2023, and it's time for your Ask the Expert segment. I'm your host, Craig Hemke. Joining us this month is my old friend, Ned Naylor Leyland. Ned runs a precious metals fund for Jupiter Asset Management in London. And uh, I can think of no better expert to discuss the current situation here in uh, April of 2023 than Ned. So, Ned, thank you so much for spending some time with me. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to be with you, Craig. Great to see you, my friend. Hey, and again, before we get started, the standard reminder, don't forget it is Sprott Money that provides all this content for you through the course of the month. So there's two things you can do. You can like or subscribe to their channel on whichever channel you're watching this stuff or listening to it. You can also just keep them in mind. Their business is bullion and bullion storage. So anytime you're in the market looking to buy the dip, be sure to check their site, SprottMoney.com, or give them a call, 888-861-0775. Ned, I, I don't know if I butchered your actual title and job description. So let's start there. Tell everybody a little bit about what you do on a daily basis. Sure. So um, I, ma I manage a fund investing in, in in bullion and the miners, but in a more of a, um, we like to think a more um, a qualitative way than versus being benchmarked. So it's kind of quite narrow in in terms of what we will and we won't do. And um, but having said that, like I say, we do own both gold miners and silver miners and bullion, which is a little different than than other people. But I would say that a good proportion of my job is still education um trying to get other professional investors comfortable with the, the the framing of an investment into monetary metals and why it matters and what the, the relevance of it is at the moment probably will carry on having to do a lot of that um but you know as you know i i, I do enjoy that so it's, it's fun to, to get out there and meet you know professionals and and pitch uh ned i find that you most interesting because basically what you do for a living is what I do uh, in my investing life and what probably many people uh, that are watching us do. They own bullion and they own the mining shares. <clears throat> you get to do that for a living. And so uh, since you're watching this every day, that's why I value your opinion so much. And at a time like this, uh, it's great to check in with you. I, I want to start, we've been collecting questions and they kind of fall into three categories. So I want to start with the first category today. And that's just kind of the broad monetary policy category. Um, we're all expecting at some point the Fed to stop hiking rates, pause, but actually start cutting them. Uh, Fed funds futures are pricing in rate cuts before the end of the year. The Fed themselves has analysts that are predicting a recession. Uh, but Metals prices have rallied. Gold's up seven or eight percent year to date, but not yet breaking out. Where, where do you think we are uh, in terms of that monetary policy cycle, and and what will you be looking for for some type of breakout? Well, look, I think that what, of course, is so interesting about where we are at the moment and why people would be right to be quite excited about the rest of the year is that normally financial conditions are tightened through guidance and policy rather than through a banking crisis. Now, when they're tightened through guidance and policy, as you and I have discussed many times, what that creates is a, a positive real interest rate environment, and that drives our sector down. So generally what happens is you get the tightening 
through policy and guidance and real rates, and then they loosen and then we go back up again. But what's happened this time, of course, is that we're near the all-time high and uh, financial conditions have tightened dramatically through uh, the function of what's going on under the bonnet in the financial system. So we haven't been whacked before conditions are loosened. Now that leaves us in a very interesting position because we're very near that breakout zone. And what's more, actually, in addition to that, we have no participation at all. So no one's interested or doing um, anything, which is incredible, really. And it's very, very good news, actually, for all of us that that's the case, because we're not facing an exhaustion of the trade. You know, we're not at a point where people have all done it and it's time for them to come out. Now, as for what will kick us through that level, well, there are lots of different potential answers to it, but it's weird. We seem to be in a position now where before, whatever the data was and whatever the, the guidance was and whatever the, the market condition was for, for 12, 18 months, it was considered to be hawkish and so it was bad for gold and silver. And it feels now we've, it's flipped. Now, no matter, no matter what is said or what the data is now, the sense of the market is that it's dovish. The market wants to see everything as dovish now, the same way as last year, it wanted to see everything as hawkish. And that, of course, is good for us rather than bad for us from last year. Um, I don't know what the exact trigger will be to push us through this level. I do think we need one because it's a 50-year technical pattern, as you know. So in order to get through that, you would say that get the dollar gold price through 2100, which for me is the key level. You know, you can make the argument it's 20, 2070 or whatever, but, you know, you want to... You wanna, get through it properly on a weekly close through 2100. And that will set up a whole different market environment, in my opinion. You, I think we do need one more catalyst. And I think I would put those three, as you said, three buckets. I'll put those into three buckets. One is data. The other is the real economy. And the third is the most important one, which I'll save up for a second. Um, so data, I just don't buy it. I've said for 12 months, I don't think the data will show up. We won't get a pivot via data, data has been managed optimistically for so long that um, making it look bad, it's just seems so unlikely. I, you know, I, don't, I just don't buy that we'll get bad enough data to drive a genuine pivot through Fed guidance and policy. Um, the real economy, i.e., you know, loosely, if we describe that as being about bank, yeah, bank and, and, um, and general corporate earnings, I, again, I'm dubious that we'll see sufficient weakness there to to deliver a, a greater pivot in the bond market to drive us through 2100. So that leaves the third bucket, which is the plumbing. And that's where the whole thing has come from in the last two months. The plumbing of the financial system was always going to be where the problem showed up and where the pivot appeared from. But that has been the case so far this year. I tend to think it will probably be through that again. So something, um, the continuation of what really started with guilds, and then we saw swap lines, and then we saw SVB and Credit Suisse, and you know all of this. I just to explain what I mean. You know, you have the surface of the financial system, but then all the plumbing is the stuff under the underneath that you don't see, and mu much of that is to do with de derivatives. In fact, mainly it's to do with derivatives. Um, and, and that shows up as, as news flow, you know, the, the event-driven news flow through the plumbing, 
I think we probably will see something from there over the next quarter, which would push us through that key level. I am dubious we'll get through it until we see something like that, though, because it's such an important level. You work with a firm full of people that they're like normal people, right? They're not you and me. Um, <laughs> always enthusiastic about the precious metals. And I, you know, I see stuff on Twitter and granted this is anecdotal, but people trying to make the case that somehow gold is going to go down now because all the gold investors are all excited and sentiment is frothy. But I'm sure you've noticed in your conversations with your coworkers, um, their sentiment toward gold probably is far from frothy. What will it take in your mind to start getting that, I will loosely call them generalist, um, point of view to be more bullish on gold? Well, it's interesting. So I would say that the the professional investor that I work alongside, they are way more invested in our sector than you realize. So in other words, they do at the margin, not all of them, but a lot of them do Mm -hmm. get it. And they have way bigger positions, PA, in their own account than you would see in the rest of the financial industry, so i.e. through clients. So, you know, you speak to to my peers, a lot of them do get it and will have reasonable allocations of some of them quite big ones. So they a lot of them do see it. But versus the overall capital pie, that's a tiny, 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 tiny amount. Yeah. So yeah. sentiment-wise, there I see a shift, and I think that they're definitely interested and excited. But... To get the generalists involved, and I've, I've had a bunch of meetings lately where people are saying, look, we see this, but we've got people within our decision-making process who don't like the asset class, don't agree with this, don't want to do it. You know, How do I get them over the line? And, and so I would answer your question by saying what I said to them, which is I wouldn't bother. Just don't even try. Because the thing is, we're so close here to the breakout. And as soon as we break out, they're all going to want to know about it anyway. So, you know, the, the, the problem is here is chicken and egg. And and and, and it, it's that phrase that, wasn't it Chris Powell? Or was it? I think it was. Who, price action creates market commentary. You know, the, the truth is they'll all get ex- excited and interested, but they'll do it at $2,100 to $2,200. Yeah. Because it will be very clear and obvious and demonstrable that we are in a new price regime. It's running. CTAs have gone long. It's in the financial press and it becomes a self-fulfilling situation then. So I think at a moment, I'm kind of like, I wouldn't even bother. Don't waste your bullets trying to convince anybody at this point. It's not worth it because right now they're going to look at it and go, yeah, yeah. You know, heard it all before several times, mainly from you. You know, why am I going to listen to you now? Let it break out. And then they'll all turn around and and everyone, including the people listening to this, will be the experts that are asked by their friends and their colleagues. Oh, you know about this. Tell me about this. So I think it's kind of let the event-driven ha- stuff happen that pushes the market's view on real rates down a little bit further, sends us through that level, and then it will all just happen um, in and of itself. I'm not sure that's an appropriate answer, but that's how I see it at the moment. I think it's a perfectly fine answer, my friend. Um, let me ask you the second question, though, because I think it dovetails off of that. Um We've had several people write in noting that they're fr- they have frustration with the mining sector. The gold miners, uh, in, in reference uh, for this question, you know, if you measure the gold price versus a proxy like the GDX, the big gold mining ETF, the price of gold very near all time highs, 
GDX like half its all-time highs, even if you just go back to last April. Uh, you know, gold's about this price level. GDX is more like 46 versus the current 34. Can you, as, as a fund manager, can you just take a second to explain to people, um, you know, outside of that flow of funds, why it is that the mining shares can't seem to keep up with price? Well, I mean, flow of funds, as you just said, is vital because mining equities behave a bit like um, open-ended options. And again, you and I, we've discussed this before, that, that while individually they have almost total idiosyncratic downside risk on an individual basis as a as a collective they're a form of of out the money option um and the less interest and flow of funds there is the the more your option will drift lower now generally they don't go bust gold miners do you have to do a pretty good job to go bust in a gold miner i mean it's, it does happen but it's very rare you know really what they go to is one and two cents in the dollar um you know in terms of an option now you know mainly that's flow, but there is, of course, this other this other important point, which is to do with cost structure and margins. Which is that you know these to most investors, to most investors, you need a healthy margin before they're going to want to participate in an asset class. They don't want to be involved in stuff that's barely making money. Now, of course, I say that, and then I start thinking about tech, and I think, well, it doesn't stop them there. Uh, but you know, as a general rule. But certainly in diversified mining, what's attractive about diversified miners is they have very large operating margins and they pay big dividends based on the fact that they have um, usually sufficient reserve replacement plus free cash flow dynamics to pay large dividends. And that brings investment in and investors become interested and want to own the stocks. So there's a, it's a combination of a lack of... of um, deliverable margin or, or implied margin when you're not in production um, and and the flow of investment capital at the side of it is potentially more important because it's com competing you know the capital has to compete versus other um, investment subsets so you, you know unfortunately gold miners are definitely an alternative and they're considered to be a pretty fringe alternative for a fringe group of individuals. Now, that means that they are competing with all sorts of other alternatives that might have positive momentum, growing margins, growing performance, growing, you know, all the things that people look for. And therefore, you, uh, you just see this drift away from these options, if we want to call it that. And you just see the, the opportunity drift down. But of course, it also means if something's trading at two to four cents in the dollar as an option, and then it turns... You know, that can be very beneficial if you're in it at the right moment. So it is frustrating. It is annoying. And it is difficult for me to pitch mining stocks for exactly the reason that you bring up and the listeners bring up, which is they suck. You know, look at them. They, they don't perform. Like, why would I buy that? And the answer is that, unfortunately, until we reach the $2,100 and above regime, price regime, we're still in a bear market. Versus dollars. In truth, you know, you've got to remember the dollar has basically had gold in a risk-free headlock since 1980. Mm -hmm. In periods where gold's tried to, you know, flip it on the dollar and, 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 and you know, and roll the dollar in a wrestling sort of format and take over. And each time at the last minute, the Fed intervenes and kind of pushes gold over again and goes, no, 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 yeah. back off. You know, we want the dollar on top. But, you know, once we do reach that new regime, the 
the flow dynamics surrounding these stocks, as in the participation in them, plus obviously the operating margins will expand. They'll become they'll become more able to start paying dividends and you know looking like a proper investment. But having said that, of course, as you know, a lot of them have very big structural problem with reserves. So you know it's going to be hard for them to get out of their own way initially. They're going to have to show consistency in the new price regime. Um, consistency of performance before the wider part of the market accepts that this is a viable asset class. And then, as you know, they often then move quickly when they do. Like I think comparing it to a, a an out of the money option that suddenly starts to pick up, you know, those options can go from four cents to eight cents to twelve cents pretty quick. And I think that's a great analogy, Ned. Um, that leads me then to the final question which is also dealing with the miners, but uh, the silver miners and whether there's an opportunity in the short term. Um, we've been discussing in my site, the kind of dislocation, even just in the last 12 months between the ETF, use it as a proxy, I guess, the SILJ, which is the junior silver miners and the price of silver. They've been in lockstep really for a couple of years, but in the last six to 12 months, quite a relative gap has opened. Um, is that, I guess, uh, relatable to what we just t discussed with the GDX? Does it also represent an opportunity, perhaps, for someone like you to overweight the silver miners? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think the weighting is the important point. You know, they're clearly just a spicier version of what we just discussed. You know, they have they have lower operating margins still, uh, and in some cases, you know, non non-existent operating margins, which means they're they're highly sensitive. They're even deeper out of the money. Um, they also have a bit of an issue, which is in terms of the grade profile of a of a silver mine versus the um, the, the the costs of mining. So, in other words, you know your 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 operating margin is skinny. Your grade profile isn't that great. That leaves you what one might say on the ragged edge, somewhat in terms of the operating environment, unless you have prices trending higher. And when prices trending higher, they look great, you know, and they and they can work very well. But I think the truth of silver miners is they they are they are sensible applied in the right quantum. Everybody has a different tolerance for volatility and risk, of course. So it will depend on on you know each person or or entity's tolerance for the volatility. But what I think is certainly true is gold goes above twenty one hundred. Silver's likely to enter an environment that went into bit 09 to 2011, where, of course, it did whatever it was, 4x, what the gold price did. Mm -hmm. So it's very reasonable to expect a silver miner to deliver um, gapping performance when fresh capital comes in. But this is the point, which is, if you look at a major gold mining company, they receive capital reasonably quickly after physical gold. So in other words, physical gold gets bid, and then the capital percolates down into the largest gold mining companies and the royalty companies. And guess what? SILJ, which you refer to, is the last thing to yeah. receive investment capital. So when you say, well, they haven't, you know, they haven't performed well, that's because the investment capital has not, not reached it and never got there. You know, all you've, all you've seen is a little bit of hedge fund involvement in the largest gold miners, long and short, but both long and short, mainly because they're big and liquid and they're more usable by the, those very large hedge funds, they're willing to play in those very big pots of capital. But there's been no fresh capital available to mining generally in a very long time. 
And so until that arrives, you know, it, I wouldn't be anticipating any particular excitement from silver miners. You know, they they are they'll they'll move and do move on a lag. And when they do move, they move. Yeah. But you know, it's the it's the, it requires additional patience and additional tolerance for volatility. That would be my 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 framing of it. You mentioned twenty one hundred dollar gold as catching everybody's eye. Mm, high twenties. Maybe a silver price that starts with a three. Would that maybe get people excited? So I, I don't think it works like that. I think it's about gold. I think it's about gold. It's just a it's a, it's a function of gold. It's not really about silver on its own. I'm not saying there isn't the odd person who will, you know, get excited about silver on its own. I mean, you know, sure, but really they don't. You know, what happens is people get excited by gold and then they go, "Where's the beta?" Or beta, I think you call it. Um, uh, they go, they go, they go. Where, where do I? How do I? How do I? I want more. I don't want just that. I want more. And that takes the capital into junior miners, silver, and silver miners. And it's it's not really about silver. It's about gold. Now, of course, it's also true that one there is one additional comment about silver, which is, as we know, there isn't any. So you know, right. you can get this accelerated excitement driven by a squeeze potential, like we saw with the that moment two years ago where really a very small group of people buying a bit of SLV created a fundamental problem in the silver market. So, you know, that is also true, but it's all driven through gold. It's not driven through silver on its own. It's driven through gold. Ned, um, you are based in London. You work for Jupiter Asset Management. What's the name of your fund? It's called Jupiter Gold and Silver. Jupiter Gold and Silver. Now, I in the U.S. cannot buy that fund uh, because, as everyone knows, uh, the British and the Americans are are sworn enemies and we cannot cooperate on anything. Why the heck can I buy it, Ned? That drives me crazy. Um, however, people in Europe and can people in Canada buy your fund? No, it's 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 very much narrow um, jurisdiction in terms of who gets use its rules. In North North America and, and Europe and never the twain shall meet. It's all very um, cordoned off, which is fine. You know, it's nice we can just discuss the the market in broad brush terms and not worry about um, you know these specifics. But look, you know, I, I, I ultimately there are there are plenty of vehicles over there that people. Yeah access this asset class through and and that and that's good for all sorts of individuals within the industry so that's fine all right so those of those of you listening from the uk uh check out ned's fund and ned thank you uh for your friendship over the years but also for this latest podcast this has just been terrific and i you've answered all the questions and i think given people uh some great answers and a lot to think about uh so thank you for your time it's been great fun it's a pleasure and please, everyone, keep SprottMoney.com in mind for all of your bullion services, whether buying it or stacking it or maybe storing it someplace. Give them a call, 888-861-0775. We'll be back with more content later on this month that you're definitely going to want to hear as we get to the monthly wrap-up. But for now, it's time to sign off. Thanks again to Ned. Thanks again for SprottMoney.com. And we'll speak with all of you again soon.